Are you a Harry Potter fan looking for a new way to appreciate the series? Do you love delving into the characters, plot, and themes of your favorite stories? Then Muddle Snuggle, brought to you by Hustle Studios, is the podcast for you. Each week, we explore a different aspect of the Harry Potter series in a deep and meaningful way. But here's the catch, we do it in the most boring way possible. That's right, Muddle Snuggle is the ultimate Harry Potter snooze fest. So grab your wand, find a comfy spot, and get ready to snuggle up with us as we dive into the magical world of Hogwarts. Whether you're a diehard Harry Potter fan or just looking for a new way to enjoy the series, Muddle Snuggle has something for everyone. So join us and get ready to snuggle up with your favorite muggles as we explore the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Don't miss an episode to subscribe to Muggle Snuggle, brought to you by Hustle Studios, today. Welcome to all the horror podcast. Each episode will feature a spine-tingling, creepy horror story that will keep you awake. Enjoy the story. When Robert A. Bradley, a Denver physician, went downstairs one morning in his historic brick country home, he had no idea that the experience would change his life forever. Dr. Bradley often enjoyed an early morning smoke before the rest of his family awakened. Taking a cigar from its box, he ambled into the drawing room to use a lighter kept on a heavy, marble-top table. As he reached for the lighter, his hand closed in the empty air. The lighter had risen and was floating away. After it had traveled about a foot, it returned to the table and fell silently on its side. The astonished doctor examined the lighter. Surely one of his three sons had played a practical joke on him. But how? There were no wires attached or any other visible means of propulsion. Dr. Bradley experimented with the lighter by pushing it over and each time it hit the table with a loud clank. That was the first of a series of unexplained incidents that would soon be witnessed by every member of the family. They all went shopping one Saturday and returned to find the reception hall of their home in shambles. A wrought iron trellis had been wrenched from a stone planter and the plants themselves uprooted and thrown around the room. The carpeting, covered with dirt, resembled a rototilled garden. Oddly, there was no evidence that the house had been broken into. That night after the children were in bed, Dr. Bradley, his wife, Dorothy, and Seedwalt Palisky, a foreign languages professor who was staying with them, were watching television. The only illumination came from the television set and a light in the adjoining entry hall. Suddenly, Mrs. Bradley thought she saw movement out of the corner of her eye. Turning toward the plant beside her, she noticed one leaf moving up and down. The windows and doors were all shut and there were no drafts. As she watched closely, she saw that no other leaf moved. She said nothing. A moment later, the house shook with a terrifying noise. Professor Palisky leaped to his feet and ran. The Bradleys followed. They searched the entire house, but could find no cause. It had been an incredible day that left the family exhausted yet sleepless, tossing and turning while trying to figure out what had happened. 
the Bradleys were determined to find the answers. They combed libraries for books on psychic phenomena to which they devoted every spare moment in reading, joined study groups where they met persons who had witnessed similar unexplained incidents, participated in discussion groups on the paranormal, attended lectures and seances with a variety of mediums. The Bradmar haunting began as a case of serendipity. A realtor, knowing of Dr. Bradley's interest in architecturally distinctive houses, telephoned him one spring morning in the 1960s to say that a splendid old English Tudor country home was available. In fact, it had been on the market for some time because of its condition. The previous owner, a woman who had been bedridden for seven years, had been unable to maintain it, and recently vandals had wreaked havoc upon it. Would the Bradleys like to see it anyway? They would. They saw and they bought. Dr. Bradley loved the beautiful stained glass windows, the rich blue slate roof with its many tall chimneys and gables, and the walls of handmade bricks. The manor house, which they would call Bradmar, was framed by ancient cottonwood trees set on four acres of lawn. It was the perfect place for a growing family. Best of all, Dr. Bradley would still be close to his city office. The restoration took many months of painstaking work by a crew of workmen under the direction of Carl Vogel, an interior designer and relative of Dr. Bradley. The man was a bachelor who had recently moved to Denver, and the Bradleys invited him to live with them as soon as they could move into the house. Carl was experienced in house restoration, and the Bradleys felt fortunate to have a competent person in charge. One afternoon while Carl was busy at the house, a former caretaker dropped by to see how the restoration was going. He seemed pleased that a family would be moving in. Then, as he glanced around, he said casually, you know of course that the house is haunted. No, Carl hadn't heard that, nor did he have any interest in the supernatural. But he was courteous and listened to the old man's story. It seems as if everyone in these parts knows the story, the stranger began, and I believe there's something to it. An elderly woman was the last one to live here. Long before her death, she told her relatives and friends that when she died, she wanted her casket to be placed in front of the fireplace of the Great Hall. At that moment, she said, she would split one of the two large crossbeams overhead. She even told them which one. Well, sir, the split occurred exactly as she had predicted, and those present in the room say they heard the crack. He paused and shook his head. It's hard to understand these things. Carl admitted that it was. After the caretaker left, Carl went into the great hall and studied the overhead beam. It was the strangest one he'd ever seen. A series of small cracks had occurred in the center of the wood, running the full length of the beam. No crack extended to the outer edge as would logically be the case. Carl dismissed it with a shrug. He had more important things to think about. When fall arrived, the restoration was still unfinished. Mrs. Bradley went to enroll her sons in their new school, but was told that the children had to be sleeping in the house before they could be admitted. The Bradleys considered how this might be done while the boys jumped with glee at the thought of living in the woods in an unfinished house. It might be the greatest adventure of their lives. Dr. Bradley suggested that he and Carl take turns spending nights at Bradmore with the boys. Carl's turn came first. When he met the Bradleys the next morning his face was ashen. He asked if either one of them had been to the house at any time during the night. Of course not, said Dr. Bradley. Why do you ask? 
Carl straddled a sawhorse and told his story. He and the boys had slept in one room because the floors and all the other rooms of the house were being sanded. After the boys had gone to sleep, Carl sat on the edge of his bed, smoking a last cigarette. Suddenly, he heard the back door slam. Soft footsteps shuffled from room to room. The sound changed as the footsteps reached the marble floor of the hall. Carl waited for someone to call him. No one did. After several moments he heard the footsteps retreating to the back of the house. The back door opened and slammed shut. Carl went to the window to see who was leaving. No one was in sight. And the only entrance to the property was a single driveway, half a mile in length. Carl doubted that anyone could have come into the house, but he couldn't doubt the reality of what he'd heard. A week later, while Carl was staying with the boys, he again heard the back door open and slam shut. The same sound of soft footsteps shuffled through the main floor rooms. This time Carl was determined to catch the intruder. When the footsteps reached the great hall, Carl stepped onto the balcony that overlooks it. The hall was flooded by the light of a full moon. But no one was there. Carl gripped the handrail of the balcony and shouted the name of the former owner. Is that you down there? The footsteps stopped. I'm trying to restore your beautiful home, he yelled, and if you don't like what I'm doing, speak up now. Carl said later that he did not know what he would have done had there been a response. He stood frozen to the spot until the footsteps grew faint and the back door slammed shut. From that moment on he was a believer in the paranormal. On one occasion, the Bradleys invited Dorothy's mother to visit them. The elderly woman woke up in the middle of the night, hearing footsteps coming down the hall. She assumed it was her daughter coming to check on her to be sure she was covered. Although it was summer, the night was cool. The woman heard the bedroom door open and close and footsteps approaching the bed. Moonlight streamed through the window, but she couldn't see anyone. Then the footsteps moved to the dresser, and someone or something pulled the drawers open as if looking for something. After the drawers were pushed in, the rocking chair began to creak. She learned in the morning that her daughter had not been in the room. Dr. Bradley has a theory that both small children and elderly persons who have arteriosclerosis of the brain can tap into the subconscious level, without dependence upon hypnosis or alteration of consciousness through meditation. As a test, he grouped his mother-in-law's great-grandchildren around her at a table. Boy, did that table ever tip, said the doctor. All sorts of spiritual communications resulted, including the name of his mother-in-law's lover of many years ago, much to her embarrassment. Electrical problems are inherent in haunted houses, and Bradmar was no exception. The lights went on and off by themselves. Later the Bradleys would learn that the builder of the house had never gotten along with his wife. They argued constantly. She kept the heavy drapes closed and all the lights off. He stumbled into the furniture and turned the lights on. Was the couple still in the house? Dr. Bradley felt that they might be, that their spirits had come back to find out whether the new family was restoring or altering the place. He felt they were probably delighted to witness a restoration. Yet the erratic behavior of the lights continued. It became so annoying that an electrician was called in to inspect the wiring. He said it would all have to be replaced. One day Mrs. Bradley was standing in the center of a room when a bare yellow bulb overhead came on. Who turned on that hideous light, she called, then realized there was no one else in the room. 
She walked over to the wall switch and found it in on position. She snapped it off and called Tom, the electrician, who was working elsewhere in the house. When she explained what had happened, Tom said, that's not possible. Of course, it's not, said Mrs. Bradley, but it happened. Tom shrugged his shoulders and returned to his work. After the wiring job had been completed, the Bradleys invited friends over one evening to show them around the house. In one wing not a single bulb would light. The next day, Tom spent all morning trying to find the source of the problem. Finally, in desperation, he yanked a piece of wiring out of a conduit. The wires that he had painstakingly braided were now unbraided and the conduit disconnected. Another day Professor Palisky was up on a stepladder using an electric hand sander to sand some woodwork. Mrs. Bradley was working nearby. Suddenly, she heard a scream and a crash. She found the professor sitting on the floor and holding his head. Someone hit me, he yelled. That's impossible, Seek, said Mrs. Bradley. There's only the two of us here. He groaned. I know. Am I bleeding? He wasn't, but there was a small red area on his forehead. He said that the minute he was hit the sander stopped. A short circuit would have burned his hand, not his head. Mrs. Bradley took the sander downstairs to Tom and asked him to check it. He took off the casing, turned it over, and it worked. When he put the casing back on, the sander did not work. He repeated this routine several times with the same results. The sander simply refused to work with its casing on end, in this inoperable condition, it was returned to the rental store. The family soon noticed that there was a significance to some of these electrical problems. Lamps that turned themselves unusually presaged bad news, but always with a favorable outcome. Once, lights came on by themselves at 4.30 for three consecutive mornings. A short time later, the children suffered serious illnesses, but regained their health. A light that went on in the afternoon gave 24-hour warning of an injury to Professor Palisky's father. Again, a bedroom lamp lit in the daytime and four hours later the water pump failed. Another day the huge brass chandelier that hung from the ceiling of the Great Hall began swinging. Within two hours, a message arrived that a relative with a severe illness had been hospitalized. A complete recovery resulted. Water also is a puzzling phenomenon in haunted houses. Faucets often turn themselves on and off at will. At Bradmore a relative entered the house one morning and was hit on the head by a blob of water. The water hadn't yet been turned on. The man got a stepladder and climbed high enough to reach the ceiling of the room. It was completely dry. Such pranks are usually attributed to a poltergeist or noisy ghost that is heard, but is not seen. It may break dishes, upset furniture, strip linens from beds, and do all manner of annoying things. It is commonly thought to be associated with the presence of an adolescent in the house. Parapsychologists believe that the turbulence and energy force of the teenager are somehow transferred to inanimate objects. But the Bradleys couldn't accept that theory. In their book, Psychic Phenomena, Revelations and Experiences, they write, The physical happenings have been associated in our minds with definite purposes, definite meaningful events or ideas. They seem in our case to be intelligence-directed, and of a higher level than pre-adolescent capriciousness. 
The second theory, therefore, the one which seems more likely to us, is that these physical happenings were affected by deceased people manifesting via psychokinesis and utilizing this power for a purpose. The Bradleys never doubted that their surviving subconscious mind had split the beam. Nor did they doubt that the footsteps Carl had heard without anyone visibly present had come from the spirit world. They would be heard again, this time by Mrs. Bradley and her sister, Mary. On New Year's Eve the two women were visiting upstairs long after the other family members had gone to bed. Carl was out at a party. At 12.30 a.m. The women heard footsteps in the carpeted area of the dining room hall, then the sound of Carl's leather heels on the marble floor of the great hall. He'd be up in a minute to tell them about the party. But why was he returning so early? Had something gone wrong? The footsteps started up the staircase, then retreated. He's gone to the kitchen for a cup of coffee, Mrs. Bradley said. Did he float there? asked her sister. Mrs. Bradley looked at Mary and realized there were no footsteps in the kitchen. Nor anywhere else. Silence enveloped the house. The women went to bed. In the morning Carl said he'd arrived home at 4 a.m. and that the party was great. Although the Bradleys never saw a ghostly figure in their house, others apparently did. On a number of occasions, the family opened their home to tourists, charging a small fee to be donated to local non-profit institutions. Some visitors said they saw phantoms flitting in the hallways, and once a group of children reported seeing a woman in a window. She was not real. Dr. Bradley invited spirit photographers to come down from Canada, but they couldn't capture anything on film. Marital problems not connected to their supernatural experiences caused Robert and Dorothy Bradley to divorce in the late 1960s. In 1970, Dr. Bradley remarried and, 10 years later, sold Bradmark because the couple no longer needed a 33-room house. The buyers, friends of the Bradleys, reported continued poltergeist activity, with items, especially jewelry, disappearing from one place to reappear in another. After living in the mansion for only a short time, the family sold it. It takes a special kind of person to live in a haunted house, 